0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric The Father, we love you. We're expectant this morning. Lord, uh, love this time of year, the springtime, the freshness. The rain, the sun, the increasing warmth, the increasing sunlight, and Lord, that's uh, so similar to what we're going to talk about today, and I just want to say thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for uh, the grace that you have given to us in and through the life of Jesus. Lord, uh, may we cherish it afresh today in a greater measure as the body of Christ. It's in the precious name we pray, Amen. Well, uh, we need to start uh, remembering, uh, Nathan, what episode we're on, you know, so like we could have like our 25th, uh, we could celebrate our 25th, you know, like Les and I have our 25th anniversary this year, but well, we could celebrate our 25th Daily Thunder, because we're getting close to it. We've been going now for a few weeks, this is this is a lot of fun. And then like our 50th, we could have a big thing, maybe a giveaway, uh, you know, we could have all sorts of things, and people could anticipate that, uh, so, but this has been really special uh, for us, the... Just the daily meditations. This is gonna be a, a really neat one. I, I've been uh just basking in this one. Morning has broken. I've also been singing uh, the song Morning Has Broken uh nonstop as I was driving down the road. I was singing. I don't really know the words. Have you ever had a song like that where you just sort of mumble the words and you keep singing one phrase over and over again? This is the phrase I do know. Uh Morning Has Broken. Uh I guess it's a it's a Cat Stevens song, uh and uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat catchy, at least the first line is, and, uh, but it's significant if you've been here and been listening in for our past few days, especially, I think it was Thursday when Nathan was dealing with his, his Bible survey, he was talking about two key words in scripture, one was Erev and the other is Boker, and that is evening, Erev is evening, and Boker is morning, and it was an extremely fascinating uh, statement that he was making that the two words, Erev, actually means like a decline in clarity. So evening. It's like, what's happening? Darkness is increasing, or chaos is increasing, and light is dimming. And so Erev, but then you have Boker, which is the exact opposite, is the inverse of that, is the increase of light, is the increase of clarity. And so uh, This idea, so then what I talked about the next day was uh, in the Gospel Toolkit series, as I was talking about seeing your need, and as we share the gospel, there's a need uh, not to just see your need, but then to see your Savior. So it's like a dawning of revelation. The Spirit of God comes upon this darkness that we are living in, and then begins to shine light, and we begin to see not just our need, but we begin to see our need answered, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And what is that called? Morning. And so you have darkness, you have the dark night, and then you have the breaking forth of the dawn. And so that's, that's what we're talking about today, which is sort of an extension of a little uh, accidental mini-series that Nathan and I are tag-teaming on here. But vigorously exiting the darkness. If you recognize that you're in darkness, and you have the opportunity to turn on the light switch, If you had the opportunity, have you ever had one of those camping nights where you're like in a tent all night and you're miserable? I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience, but I've had it more than a few times. I'm not a a great camper. You know, some people are just sort of built for camping and they're built for like having a rock underneath the middle of their back and they're like, ah, that feels so good. Uh, For whatever reason, that's never been me. And so I've had those nights where it's just, it's cold and you just can't seem to get warm. You got, everything's just uncomfortable and you look at your watch, and it's like midnight. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, this is taking forever. And so if you had the opportunity for the morning, if you I mean, you would. You, you'd take it. And that's exactly what the Christian soul is. You've, you're sick of the night. You're sick of the darkness. And you crave the morning light. And so if you know that there's an opportunity to fast forward to morning, why wouldn't you? All right, so here's a key word for us today. Achas. What do you think about that one? That's a good one. Now you guys can speak some more Hebrew today, walk around and go, hachaz. It means grasping for what belongs to God. Not a good thing, okay? Now, uh, taking God's kingdom as if it were one's own. Not a good idea, guys. I'm just gonna give you some advice. A word of wisdom today is don't try and pull an hachaz, okay? This is exactly what Lucifer did. So the one we know as Satan and the devil, this is exactly what he perpetrated. He attempted to reach and grasp for what was God's. You know this is actually a character in Scripture? The guy, There's a king of Judah in the lineage of King David, in, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, that actually has this name. It's, it's rather shocking. But his name is Ahaz. Well, that's how we say it. His name is technically Ahaz, but that's how we pronounce it in the English in our transliteration. And he's going to be a picture of something today, and that is the bad news. Something is wrong. When you go through the lineage of kings, Ahaz was like the 13th, or I'm sorry, he's the 12th king from David. Uh, he, is, he is about as bad as they get in, out of all the kings of Judah. The kings of Israel, on, because there's a split kingdom, you have the kingdom of Israel and you have the kingdom of Judah. And the Kingdom of Judah at least sports a few good kings, okay there, there were a few in there, but there's a whole bunch of bad ones. Ahaz is one of the worst, and so he 's going to be a picture of bad news he 's a pattern for the old man, okay so each one of us has entered in if you' if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you didn't start that way you started as an You started as one in darkness that was reaching out and grabbing for what belongs to God and claiming it for yourself. And everything was bad. Everything went south. And so the pattern for the old man is exactly this. It's grasping for control, for power, for preeminence. At the, the tree in the Garden of Eden, you see the serpent baiting Eve for exactly this. This is precisely the bait of Satan. This is what he is up to. He's saying, hey, You could have that. Reach out. Grab it. And so the bait is Ahaz. And so even when you become a Christian, there is an Ahaz bait. There is an Ahaz like bait in our soul to reach back and claim that which we've given up to Christ. And so, but what I want to focus on is not necessarily what the devil is trying to do, but what God is doing in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of our rebellion. Ahaz is just a bad dude. And yet, in the midst of this, God is desiring to bring light. So 2 Chronicles 28, we learn a little bit about uh, Ahaz. Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. By the way, that is not a compliment. They were all bad guys. And made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire. Okay, most of us don't understand a lot of these things like burning incense in the valley uh, of the son of Hinnom. It's like, well, what in the world is that? But we do uh, sort of alert ourselves and go, whoa, when it says he burned his children in the fire. Mm -hmm. You see, these are all the ritual practices of false deities and uh, sacrifice into false deities back in the day according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. So let it suffice to say that Our firstborn life, before we give our lives to Christ, before that light dawns in our life, is very similar to this. We are an Ahaz. We have grasped and reached out and claimed something that actually belongs to God. I oftentimes describe the human soul as like a, uh, a throne. It's like a throne room. And when we claim it as our own and we say, this is my life, this is my body, and I will do with it what I see fit, that is precisely what causes us to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And so that's what sin is. The, the word sin is hamartia, and it is an archery term, which means to miss the marks. So you pull back the bow and shoot your arrow. And God designed us as humans to hit a bullseye. Well, how are you going to hit that bullseye? You need God taking over this life and being the one pulling the bow in you. And that's how Christianity functions. It's not our ability that saves it's his ability to hit the bullseye and when we kick out God and darkness reigns, I mean when you turn off light what do you get you get darkness when you turn off life what do you get you get death and so as a result when you turn off the light you now have darkness you have turned off God if you will in your life and you can no longer hit the bullseye hamartia The same is true with Ahaz. He has turned away from God, and as a result, he just simply cannot do that which is right in God's eyes. Ahaz. So this is just a few things that he is guilty of, and I I think all of us should just sort of join together in recognizing, yep, guilty, all of us. All of us have done the same exact thing that this king did. What did he do? He used the temple of God for his own personal gain. So what does Paul in the New Testament say? He says, guys, this body is the temple of God. Well, we've used it for our own personal gain. This is God's temple. And yet we have used it for our own gain, for our own pleasure, for our own satisfaction. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord and from the house of the king and from the leaders and he gave it to the king of Assyria. Whoa, he's giving God's treasure to the king of Assyria. But he did not help him. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. I love that line. This is that King Ahaz. We're like, no, is this this King Ahaz or was it that King Ahaz? He goes, uh, no, this is that King Ahaz. Yeah, the one that blundered everything, that totally destroyed uh, Judah. Yeah, that is the one we're talking about here. Ahaz, what else did he do? He shared the wealth and beauty of God's temple with the world. That's what we have done. In other words, God has given us things. He's given us treasures. He's given us skills and abilities, time, energy, resource. And what do we do? We spend it and waste it on the things of this world instead of for the glory of God. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. What else did Ahaz do? He allowed the junk of the world inside. Not only did he share that which God had given him with this world around him, but he allowed the world around him to creep in and take over that which belonged to God. And the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Boy, those are some strong statements about one man. What else did this guy do? Well, he harmed the very temple he was commissioned to protect. So here we are. We're given one life to live. We have one shot at this thing, and we're given a temple. We're given a temple which is meant to house the living God, the Holy Spirit, beckons us and says, please give your body to Jesus Christ. Let the rightful king rule. This is how we show honor with this temple. Instead, he took that very one life that he had, that one temple, that one privilege he had, and he wasted it. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So instead of worshiping the Lord God, as he had programmed, as he had uh, given them law to do, instead he shuts down, destroys the temple, and builds his own altars to other gods. He's going to do this his way, not God's way. Okay, so I just want us to have a quick meditation of recognizing that for us to cluck our tongues at Ahaz is a very dangerous thing because every single one of us has pulled an Ahaz at some degree or level in our life. Now here's what's interesting, is Ahaz has a son. And this son is not just different, it is completely other and altogether opposite of who he is. And it's almost bewildering how you could have such a bad dad and have such a good son. But that's exactly the parallel we run in our life. How could we live such bad lives and then be transformed to live such godly ones? And it is just as perplexing here, and so what you see in the Old Testament is a picture of this. You have literally two opposites. You have a bad dude, and then you have an incredible son. You have had a bad life, and now you have the privilege of having a godly one. And so that's why you, you hear Isaac Newton in the in the song "Amazing Grace," and that's exactly what he is saying. That this grace has saved a wretch like him. One that was blind, one that was lost, has now been found and can be transformed to reveal the kingdom of heaven. Hezekiah is a great king. That's what's amazing. It's not just that he's a decent one. It's like, oh, at least we have a little improvement. He is a extraordinary one. So Hezekiah, we're going to call him the new beginning. We could call him the new morning wouldn't that be powerful especially with my title but then i'm going to start singing morning has broken again so i'm going to try and stay away from that so hey look at this guy i'm going to teach you guys another uh, hebrew word here Are you guys ready for this one yek is kia <laughs> that's actually his name but i'm glad we don't try and pronounce it this way yek Yekiz is kia uh, still it's it's a hard one to do so this is what it means. Now think about it. In light of what Ahaz means, remember, which is grasping for what belongs to God. Listen to what this name means. Jehovah has taken what belongs to him. Jehovah has reclaimed his kingdom. <laughs> that is extraordinary. In other words, here's the old man is grasping, saying, hey, this is for me. And then this new man is saying, hey, it belongs to you, God. Isn't that incredible? This is an incredible picture of the new birth in Christ Jesus. The morning has broken. Seven steps toward a new beginning. So I'm just going to walk through how Hezekiah responds. His dad dies. Just remember, your old man is dead. If you guys have ever gone through Ellerslie, it's like that's one of the big moments where you you recognize in Romans 6 that we're supposed to reckon ourselves dead indeed into sin. Old Eric is dead. When that old man dies, then a new beginning, a new creature, rises up. And that's what we see in Hezekiah taking the kingdom. Seven steps toward a new beginning. The death of the old man. So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Yeah, woo! new beginning times, guys. So personal action. This is for each of us. What can we do in light of what Hezekiah is doing? This is the new life emerging. The morning dawn coming. The greater clarity of light. We're moving out of darkness into light. Let go of the kingdom. Let go of your previous hold. All that you have tried to grasp, let go of it. All that you have tried to grip and say, hey, this is mine. You need to let go of it. Repent of holding something that was not yours to hold. Open the doors afresh. Remember, Ahaz shut the doors to the temple. We shut up our life to God. Well, so what do you do when you're going from darkness unto light? Well, I I think it makes sense. Open up the doors afresh. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So how does this guy start his new kingdom? He opens up the doors of the house of the Lord and repairs them. Personal action. Open up the doors to your house and your life. Freshly let go of your control. Tell the Holy Spirit that he can have you, all of you, every single inch of you. I mean, there, there should be nothing that we hold on to. Let's get rid of all the Ahaz, all of the grasping. This is no longer yours. It belongs to Jehovah. It belongs to Jesus. Number three, clear out the junk. It's amazing how much junk buildup we get. And that was actually, Nathan on Thursday had a great illustration. I highly recommend you guys listen to Thursday's message. It was really, really good. Nathan, in his way, had some uh, good moments uh, but uh, he was talking about the difference between Erev and uh, Boker. And Erev, he was describing as being, it's like the, the, the room, the little kid room that gets cleaned. And then it starts to increasingly become chaotic throughout the day. And then the mom you know, says, hey, clean your room. And then morning comes and it's clean again. And it's, it's this evening morning progression, right? But what we build up is a dirty room. Over time, all you need to do is give self a little room to maneuver, and junk builds up, all right? And so this needs to be cleared out, guys. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord of your, of your, Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Isn't that a great command to all of us? Carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord and the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. So a personal action. Correct what is in error. If you lied, tell the truth. Carry out the rubbish, guys. If you stole, return it with interest. If you disobeyed, obey. If you harmed, then help. If you resented, forgive. If you were harsh, be kind. If you were wrong. Do right. This is a correction of what was wrong. Your dad, your old man, your first life, brought rubbish and junk into this house. So, what should you do in this new life? Carry it out. It doesn't belong here anymore. You don't want lies inside of you, you don't want wrong and evil inside of you. So, if the Spirit of God convicts you of something, carry it out. Confess it is the concept. Make it right. Number four, offer the reasonable sacrifice. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So now when we are dealing with our personal action in the new covenant, we're not bringing bulls and sheep and goats what do we do? Well, you have a rightful sacrifice as well. Bring your time, your energies, your abilities, your desires, your resources, your ambitions to the altar and lay them down before your God. Let him practically take the lead in your life via his Holy Spirit. So in this first movement forward, you see Hezekiah saying, this land is consecrated to you. The best of it we give to you. It's the same with us. We come and we say, God... This new life is now to, to be ruled by you, and so as a first step forward, I'm going to declare that by offering you my best. My best time, my best energies, my best abilities, my best desires, my best resources and ambitions. They're all yours. I want you to lead this life. Number five, worship and praise the Lord. I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, you, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jehovah has regained his kingdom. I mean, this just makes sense. You're gonna start doing a lot of this, worshiping and praise. So in 2 Chronicles 29, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Wouldn't that be cool to have the instruments of David and to be handed? That's what we have. We have the instruments of David to be able to sing to the Lord with. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began, with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Isn't it amazing that all of this is congruent with one another? In other words, Ahaz, there was just, there was misery in the land. Everything is bad, it's war. I mean, they're being taken captive because they're living in rebellion. This isn't what God intended. But then look at the joy the happiness and the life that begins to crescendo forth the moment you turn and the moment you give back this temple to God and you take it and use it for God's purposes instead of for man's purposes. So what's our personal action? Do the same. I mean, doesn't it make sense, guys? Let's bow down. Worship the Lord, honor him. Praise Him. Number six. Send out the runners. This is a fun one. What are we going to do when we send out the runners? And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel, which hadn't been kept in a long time. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Then the runners went throughout all of Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his leaders. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from and Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Something great is taking place here. This new kingdom is forming. This new creature is the way we would look at it. Now, what is the first thing that we are supposed to be doing? In other words, we are being changed. We're falling down, bowing down, and saying, God, you now have this new life. This temple is now restored. And what are they going to do? They're going to keep the Passover. Well, to us in the New Covenant, that's very significant, what it means to celebrate this Feast of Unleavened Bread. But they're sending out runners. What's our action? Consciously choose to communicate the beauty of Christ's work to those around you. Invite everyone to Christ's feast, and knowing full well that those who invite you invite may laugh and mock, do it anyway. Send out the runners. I mean, they mocked Hezekiah. They mocked the leaders. They mocked those that were saying, This is important. This is significant. Let's cherish this together. Well, they'll laugh and mock at you too. Do it anyway. Send out the runners. So then keep the feast of unleavened bread. Now, in the new covenant, this is fulfilled at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a celebration. And we oftentimes, in in our communion, uh, are doing exactly this. We're remembering, we're keeping the remembrance before us of what Christ did. Back in these days, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a foreshadow of, of the one who would come and do it. We look back and reflect upon the fact that he did it. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them in the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the fourteenth day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. I mean, this whole thing is a celebration. They're keeping this feast for seven days. That's that's like a huge deal. And they're, they're singing the whole time. It's accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep, and the leaders gave to the assembly 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep, and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the priests and Levites, all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel, all those who, and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem." Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, to heaven. I mean, this is the way to do it, right here. I mean, you talk about morning breaking. You had evening unto darkness, unto a dark night, and Ahaz was lost, just as we have been. We were in the darkness, we were in the night, and then The day star rose, did you hear that? The day star rose. The day star, the morning star dawned and we have seen a great light. Jesus Christ has come and now we can be set free from that power of darkness. We can be transferred from that kingdom of darkness unto the kingdom of the dear son. Personal action, this is a good one guys. Feast on Christ. You want to feast on something? There's a good thing to feast on. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Delight in his presence. Cherish his sacrifices your own. Take firm hold of the grace offered at the cross and wield it to the fullest possible extent in your life. Functioning as Christians, what do we do? So we have transferred from darkness unto light. So what are we supposed to do, guys? Here's a good summary right here. Send out the runners and keep the F-U-B, and then Repeat. Feast of Unleavened Bread, F-U-B. Isn't that creative? Yeah. Send out the runners, guys. We have something to share. We have something to share, but they'll mock me. They'll make fun of me. I know. But we have something to declare, and there will be those that will bend their knee. They must hear. Look at what God has done for us. We are living in the light now. Our dad was Ahaz. Our old life was in darkness. We were graspers. But now we have given. We have given God his rightful due. So send out the runners. Keep the feast of unleavened bread. Keep Christ as your daily meal, your daily life. And then what should you do tomorrow? Repeat. This is what we do. This is our life. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. Have you ever heard it uh, when Jesus is talking with Peter and they're talking about how many times should I forgive? That's what Peter's question is. How many times should I forgive my brother? And so Peter is thinking seven times because that's the number of completion and that makes total sense, right? Even with the Old Testament, that would make sense. Seven. So what should we say here? How many times should we keep? How many days should we keep the feast with gladness? Seven days? Listen to this. The feast we keep is even greater, keeping the feast 70 times seven more weeks. So what did Jesus say to Peter? 70 times seven. So what do you think Jesus is saying to us? Should we just keep the feast seven days after we come into light? Should we go, oh, not just seven days, but seven more days, 14 days, is that enough? No, 70 times seven, which is the equivalent of saying, never end. So if we're saying, so 490? And he says, 490 times 490. So I don't know what the math is on that one, but he just multiplied it by a bigger number. In other words, it means ongoing. Never stop. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it for another seven days with gladness. Now I underlined a line for you, so you can just sort of delight in it as we close today. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly. A 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep and the leaders gave to the assembly 1,000 th- bulls and 10,000 sheep and a great number of priests sanctified themselves. You know that everything that is needed for this feast, everything that is needed to carry out this life with gladness has been supplied us by the king, King Jesus. You see, we're not really the King Hezekiah. Jesus is. Jesus is the king that follows the old man. He's the one that comes out of this lineage and takes over the kingdom and says, this is mine. You see, Hezekiah demonstrated something so profound and so powerful. But what he does for all of us is he delivers unto us everything we need, all the grace that we need to delight in him, to keep the feast of Christ, to every day send out runners into this world. We have been given everything we need. Praise God. Father, I just ask that you would show us how to respond to this. Lord, if there's any lingering rubbish in our temple, I pray that your spirit would point at it and we would drive it out today. If there is anything that we are holding back on, we are not singing as the Levites sang back then, we are not rejoicing, we are not keeping this feast of Christ as we should. Lord, may we rise up today with joy and relish the great work of the cross. Look at what you have done for us, Lord. You have saved us. You have rescued us from our darkness, from our Ahaz tendencies, so that we could live with the gusto of Hezekiah. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and may today be blessed, and may you be honored in it. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we ask this. Amen.